0: Welcome to InsureTech Insider, coming to you live from the 11FS office in WeWork, London. I'm Sarah Koshansky, Business Insider analyst and reporter, and regular guest on the sister show ThinTech Insider, and now de facto host of this one by merit of Nigel sunning himself in Dubai and David being ill. Do get well soon, David. So, this week's show will focus on connected home, the internet of things, and how this is changing the face of insurance. In addition to that, we will bring you a fantastic interview from Mark Budd, Head of Innovation at Zurich. Before we get into that, I'm joined by some fantastic guests in the room today. Joining me is Patricia Cozzoli, Head of Business Development at Fing, Colin Richardson, CMO and Co-Founder at Cocoon, Christian Feldborg, Co-Founder of Policy Castle, and Ashlyn Hanani, Head of Market Management at Zurich. Thanks for joining us today. For our listeners, could you just give us a quick summary about what each of you do?
1: Patricia, would you like to go first? Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, well, Feing mission is to bring awareness of what's going on in your network uh, you know, people, they have already a connected home, although they are not aware of it. And what I mean by connected home, I mean that you have a laptop, you have a tablet, you have um, a smartphone, and it's already a connected home. But they don't know what's going on. And uh, what we want to bring is awareness and security. So, the Fing app uh, has been around for six years. We have 30 million downloads and people want to use our thing, free app for security reasons. I want to know who's my on my broadband, uh, who's using my network, uh, if any. Um, and also for troubleshooting. So what we want to do as a mission is helping people in having a nice digital experience. And recently, we also launched a hardware called Finbox. Very successful. We sold uh, 30,000 units uh, in less than six months. And again, what we do is uh, having someone that sits into your home or in your small business and helps you in bringing awareness and Brilliant. security. Thank you. Ashton?
2: Yep. Thank you for having us today, by the way, and pleasure to be here. Uh, so Arslan Hanani, I look after market management for Zurich Insurance. Um, what that means is I look after all of our propositions and delivery and sort of new ventures, if I call it that. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're, we're an insurance company. We like to think of ourselves as an insurance partner. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is why we're quite interested in the connected space.
0: Brilliant. Colin?
3: Yeah, so... Um so my, my role in this is, is the storytelling. So I am the CMO and co-founder of Cocoon. So um, what Cocoon does is that we create products that keep people feeling safe at home. And so that's our mission. Our, our mission is to do that. Our first product is a, a hardware device, which is a home security system. It's everything you need in one single unit. And where we make life easier for people is that we do away with all the pesky sensors and on you need on doors and windows. And we actually use the air in your home to work out what's going on. Uh, and then combine that with some clever machine learning to build models that then tell if there is an intruder in your home. So we try and do that as simply as possible and try and make it as accessible for for everyone as we can.
0: Brilliant. And finally, Christian.
3: Christian Feldborg, Policy Castle. So
4: Policy Castle is a digital insurance broker and um, we we have built a, a, a delegated authority platform that enables us to basically take full ownership of the schemes that we are Selling and the area that we are most interested in is really trying to innovate around um, home insurance. And one of the things that we are doing is actually working with Cocoon on some of that. So we we try to engage with um, with interesting companies in this space um, and and work on how we can include that in in underwriting and risk prevention and risk mitigation strategies in the home.
0: Brilliant. Well, let's get started then. Um, So before we kick off, anyone unfamiliar, we're going to give you a definition of connected home that we're going to work with for today. Um, So we're going to define it as the use of smart devices within a home. So we're talking cameras, speakers, even things like smoke detectors that are connected to the internet. Um, These devices can feed information to the homeowner or, you know, the person renting the property when they are absent via an app or a laptop or a desktop. um, And additionally, to third parties such as retailers and insurers. So we're going to start off with uh, with you know the the big question, which is um, what are the what, what impact can these smart gadgets have on p- premiums? And we're going to start with kind of what are the benefits here? So if I'm an, if I'm a homeowner or a renter and I I have these devices in my home, how will that benefit my premiums? And how will that benefit the insurer who's providing those policies? Jump in.
2: I can Just jump in here. It. Yeah, absolutely. So from 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 an insurer's perspective, it's uh, it's really interesting. I think. A related industry like telematics has always been about potentially punishing the customer. You know, you didn't drive well, so your premium's going up. That is not what connected home is about. This is about giving you more control, giving you safety, giving you more. How it impacts your insurance can be a number of ways, right? If, uh, for example, if an insurance company knows and understands what kind of devices you have, obviously there's room in the premium for us to to risk rate that. Um, from a consumer perspective, look, the losses happen, right? But at the end of the day, they're still c- inconvenient. So as much as we can help you as a partner to not let the loss happen in the first place, the better off we all are. Also to
4: maybe try to quantify that a bit more, um, if you look at uh, uh, most of the insurance schemes that we, that we get in, the, the very first thing you, you do is you look up the postcode. So, and, and it sort of built into that postcode lookup is the major categories of, of, of risk, flood and, and crime. Um, but that's a sort of wholesale loading that is applied to that, um, to that postcode. But that could be, and, and that could easily be 100%. So that could be a 100% difference between a good postcode and a bad postcode. Um, on a standard property, maybe a couple of hundred pounds. Um, so one house could be very differently managed than, than the next door neighbor. So if we have a way of sort of looking into the house and determining whether it's, it's one of the houses that are more prone to, to crime or, or to, um, to fraud risk or less, we can, we can take out some of these, um, these sort of big loadings that are happening and underwrite on a much more individual level.
0: So it sounds very much like what you're talking about there is the personalization of the policy. So if I if I own a home and I have, you know, a set of of connected devices of smart devices, so uh, whether you're talking a motion sensor camera or a doorbell or a black box or the hardware that um, Patricia and uh, Colin have described, I can have a policy that's designed for my home as opposed to the fact that I live in, you know, sw sixteen. Um, is, is, that, you know, is, is that what you're getting at here? Is that what you guys see as a major benefit to this?
3: I, I think the, the, that is absolutely a benefit. Um, it feels like that's a bigger benefit perhaps to the insurer than maybe necessarily the customer. Um, but it is still a benefit. And passing on lower premium prices is going gonna, gonna to be a good thing. Um, I think ultimately what smart devices do, what the connected home allows for, is a change in the relationship which is positive, really positive to the customer, which moves away from being, um, can we give you a cheaper premium? That's great, but still we're cleaning up when things go wrong to can we stop those things from happening in the first place and become a real service provider in the same way that you're seeing changes throughout other different markets. You know, you're seeing the the large media companies now competing and, and adapting and changing to the Netflix Um we're going to start to see that in the insurance industry as well. So we have to move away from simply cleaning up the mess to actually providing something that's going to stop that from happening in the first place. And I think the connected home and things like Policy Castle and what this year are doing really provides that opportunity.
0: And um, Patricia, is that something that you, know, you work with on the Thing products as well?
1: Yes, I think also will help insurance companies to get closer to the customers because, uh, you know, the elephant in the room is that uh, most of the customers, they don't really see what's the value added of having a policy paying a premium and then, you know, after a year, you have to pay the premium again. Whereas if you have a connected home and you see that your insurance company actually is aware that something is going on and can provide immediately some help, so maybe you have a frozen pie And maybe, you know, you have a big issue tonight, but they will immediately react and helping you. So you slowly see what's the real benefit of having a connected home related to your policy. And then, you know, you have something you can also think broader Because you have connected Fitbit and you have so many, you know, connected, uh, you know, collar for your dog. So I think, you know, the insurance companies, my impression is that they are trying to move away from insuring single objects. Uh, but trying to be uh, to have a much more holistic approach and offering value-added services that they go beyond. Actually, so you're, you're providing a package there to a certain extent. So you know what you were
0: just talking about there is oh, the, I'm I'm out tonight, but the pipe in my house froze and it burst, and that alerts me on an app, but also my insurance company and the plumbers there before I get home. Is that the kind of thing we're,
2: we're talking about
1: here? I think that's where you know we are getting. I think just to, to. add
2: to that, it's uh, I think one of the one 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 of the issues the insurance industry has already is that is, is what we're doing today is, is we're talking about connected home, mm-hmm. right? But what we're trying to do, and as Patricia put so eloquently, is it's it's more about here's a protection proposition, right? So this takes care of your house when you're there or when you're not there. If something goes bad, this takes care of your security. This takes care of if there's a fire. This takes care if you're on on holiday and you have a leaking boiler. The other aspect is, is that if people like around this table, if all of us work together, we can start analyzing that data and really predicting things, right? So we know that, okay, you're... you're frozen, you may get a frozen pipe because the conditions are such right now. Or you may have a boiler leak because we're seeing that aggregated data from a number of different sources. So then we can, that's when it really gets exciting, right? Because like, like, like you said, we're talking about connected home, but imagine wearables and aggregating that data and health. So I, I think when it comes to connected, we need to think a bit broader and think less about home and motor and travel and, and these different lines of businesses and more about protecting and partnering with consumers.
1: In, in one of our pilots uh, um, we are working with um, reinsurer we are actually looking at a journey with customers so you know the issue currently around connected home is also lack of education so they may see devices as fun to play with but they not necessarily see that they, c- they can really bring value added and prevention so I think you know together with insurance companies what we would like to do is actually to take the customer through an education journey of all the advantages of adding more devices to have a more protected home. And in that way you're, you're not actually selling insurance I
0: suppose in that sense as, as Colin sort of hinted as well you could be saying I'm selling you a security package so instead of going out there and getting an alarm to protect your home I'm selling you you know something that's all connected together so you know you you, you more accurate sensor for if there's an intruder or a, that you know that, that kind of system.
3: Absolutely and you know the, all, all these changes that we're starting to see um, we talk about the data on an individual level but they have macro level benefits whereby you know underwriting as a whole becomes cheaper policy and um, become cheaper and people ultimately have a happier life and a happier existence because they are being taken care of now we know people will pay for these services because they do it today uh, in a multitude of different ranges whether you're buying additional warranties on products whether it be your car or your microwave or whatever it might be because we value our time as much as we value or more than we value anything else because it's the one thing that diminishes and you know, can't claim it back so there is a huge, huge benefit here to the, to the customer. Um, but like we we're saying, these, these if, you, if you're looking across a whole, it, it, it kind of benefits everybody.
0: And actually, there's a certain amount of sort of deconstruction of the traditional value chain there as well. So rather than going to a broker and buying a policy who then you get from the insurer and there's a reinsurer, you're actually all working together to, to combine a more holistic Service, I imagine. Um, so one of the interesting things here is just to go back to Patricia's point about customer awareness is that we've got some stats here that we've we, we pulled that says 77% of people would, would say, yes, I've heard the term connected home, but only 6% have a full understanding of what that means. Now, I mean, first, we can address sort of why that is, I, you know, if anybody has any
4: well, to start with, it it's because it means many different things to many different <laughs> yeah. people. Multiple um, definitions is the I, I, big thing. I, I, I'm <laughs> not sure that we here in this room will have the same understanding. We we have different needs. We have different reasons for buying these things, and and I think that's really important because as an as someone that works with insurance, we shouldn't think that the purpose of people having a camera or or, or other devices is so they can save a little bit on their home insurance they They have many other reasons for for engaging with these devices, and that's what we have to sort of try to understand and work with and That's why probably we need a lot of different parties to work together because you have all these different use cases to deal with
0: yeah and I, I mean I completely agree the educational point is very important there. I think also in the uk um it'd be interesting to address whether you think things like the smart meter rollout has actually had a negative impact here. So I don't know if, any, if everybody knows. Everybody knows in the UK what's happened here. All those negative side effects have come out, and that's what's got all the reporting. Um, and all of that obviously has come across from from the, the press. Do you feel like you guys need to get out there? Because if your if your startups, Colin and Patricia, there's only so far that you can get your message out there. You're going to need help from from the guys like Zurich to promote that. Um, you know, is that the next stage here? Is that what we need to go to next? Is get that that education message more widely understood of how it benefits people?
3: I think so. I think. Um... Um, there's, there's two. There's two things there to address. One is um, companies like ours working with the large insurers to develop propositions that people want, and that's 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 more that's a push and a pull, right? Because customers want smarter products. They just they they, they do. Um, they like we talked about before. They don't just want an insurance policy. They want a service that protects them. Um, that's one element. I think there's another element, which is you're now starting to see really these mega companies coming into play that, that do have the sort of same level of capital as the, the large insurers and the large banks. So you've got the likes of Amazon and Google coming into the foray. That creates pull from the consumer as well as push in terms of the sheer volume that they can advertise and promote this. So what we're going to start to see now is this will shift to a mainstream. And over the next 12, 18 months, it will, you know, that 6% will, will flip. <laughs> it will be much more evolved. Um, and although it will mean different things to different people, there'll be a base level understanding, which is a great opportunity for, for us within insurance um, and certainly within smart home products to, to work on the development of those propositions and, and, and ride that wave.
1: I think the issue is uh, market fragmentation um, and also you have different kind of home automation systems. Uh, you may have the DIY as well as, you know, the super sophisticated, very expensive and they don't talk to each other. So that's the big issue for consumers uh, because one, there is a large variety. Um, they don't understand what they offer. Some of them are very expensive and some of them are perceived like a toy. So I think, you know, um, what you need is more integration, more uh, more platforms that they talk to each other in order that they help the consumer to have a proper, not only connected home, but smart home. So that's really home.
3: insightful observation there that the market right now is quite fragmented. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of products that are being released and there is a lot of um, you know, consumer mind space that's trying to be occupied by the latest brand, the coolest gadget. And they are seen like that. They're seen as gadgets. Um, but what I expect that we're starting to see now, particularly if you look at the news recently, Amazon starting to acquire Ring and, you know, Blink, those sorts of things, producing their own camera, moving into the market. We see um, Google bringing Nest into, the, into their own, under their wing. Um, it's going to start to consolidate. The market will start to consolidate and you'll start to see this issue of interoperability, which has been a real issue for a while. I think that will go away. That will start to go away but it will mean that we have to work within those frameworks.
0: So uh, one of the things that, that kind of that leads us on to a little bit is we've talked quite a lot about the benefits here and about how we can get customers to understand it, but there are always going to be people who who have negative perceptions of this. I mean, the first one that I think that probably needs to be addressed here is all that data that you're talking about, how good it is and how useful it is. How do you address people's concerns that if I've got all these devices in my house, they're sending data, my data, and it's not just, you know, my... My emails, it's also me talking in the evening to my parents on the phone or it's who's coming in and out of my house. How do you go about reassuring people about that, you know, that that data is only going to be used for good?
1: I think it's a compromise. It's always a compromise. So customers if they want to receive some benefits from, it, for instance, we were talking about uh, lower premiums, clearly they have to make available some of the data coming out of their devices. However, I think the point is also around security. We haven't touched a lot around the, the issue of security. I think the major concern is is about, uh, you know, IoT is, is, uh, it creates many more vulnerabilities uh, and 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 so I think people, in order to feel comfortable to provide their data, I think they also want to be comfortable that there is enough security in the way you store the data, in the way you analyze the data. Um, And I think, you know, with IoT, um, again, it's not only a fragmented uh, market, but the other issue is that there should be an ecosystem that takes care of the security, which means that hardware manufacturers, uh, software developers, uh, uh, large business uh, Retailers—they uh, all should work together around strengthening the level of security for IoT. At that point, consumers will be very comfortable that their data are used. Uh, I properly. think,
4: sorry, um, just on their data. I think that it's really important to also look at it like that. Um, I think too many companies sort of think that it's the company's data; it's it's people's data, and we need to. F- Develop frameworks that that reward them for sharing that with us. It's a transaction because very often we don't actually know, um, you know, the the benefits of let's say a device before we have collected a lot of data. So we need to people to sort of opt in for us to gather that and analyze that and use that for quite a long time before they will see any sort of premium benefits or anything like that. So we. We have to build structures that, that just sort of put them in, the, in control of that data. They know exactly what we're doing with it. And they will benefit from it as well, you know, um, in, in some sort of reward system.
2: I um, completely agree. I think, I think, look, there's also a lot of regulation that we need to make sure that we follow and embrace, but also help shape as we understand more trends and we understand more things. But I think, I think the point here, and, and if, I, if I think about it as a consumer, that data is probably there in a lot of different ways I don't know all the data that is being collected on me now one thing that I know that it's not necessarily benefiting me today but here with with IoT and connected devices we're talking about aggregating and collecting data in a way that benefits the consumer so I think it's that we, we, we need to talk about that too is that why are we doing this this is not about premiums and it's not about saving money it's actually it's a huge societal impact and I think by having larger trusted brands like ourselves, and working with the right sort of guys out there like you guys who are way beyond us in terms of the innovation, we can try to make that balance and show that trust to the consumer that actually this will only benefit you. It will not. Uh, it will not be a negative. There is a challenge though on that last point that it there might be groups
4: there where it won't benefit them. We we you know the, the, you know if, if, with more in sort of individual underwriting, there, there's going to be groups that will benefit and groups that will uh, not necessarily see a benefit to 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 their profile if you like um, and 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 that is a that is a real difficult uh, thing to, yeah, to, to tackle so
0: that's really interesting and that's something I'd like to have, was going to bring up anyways here this so there are some demographics here and so talking about gathering data and and you know thing and cocoon your products right now I may be wrong but the demographics you are selling to are kind of tech savvy and they've got a bit of money and they kind of understand what they're doing here now obviously long term that's not what you want but right now the data data you're gathering is from that group and that group will probably be the first to benefit but long term how do you prevent there's two there's two questions there for demographics aren't there one is yeah some people are gonna have to pay more it's gonna turn out that some people have been like right you know getting an easy ride here and the other thing is what about those people who either can't or won't have those devices in their homes i'm thinking about older populations i'm thinking do they get unnecessarily penalized because you can't get the data from them so their policies go up
4: well, if you look at telematics, it doesn't have to work. Telematics for cars, it doesn't have to work like that necessarily. So, just,
0: just, just telematics is where you have a device either in your car or on your phone that measures how well you drive, and then your premium is adjusted accordingly.
4: Exactly. So, in 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 those cases, it it it, it tends to be mostly uh, younger drivers, um, people that haven't had a license for very long, or or, 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 or a certain sort of niche. Customer groups that will benefit from from having that that box in there, but initially, of course, um, the insurers put these boxes in in a, in a lot of different people 's cars so they could understand what the risk profile was, and then they realized that actually for a lot of people, it makes very little difference so so um, and it 's going to be the same for home uh, you know there, there are certain groups that will benefit more for the from the kinds of interventions that we could. Uh, we could engage in, you know, um, you know, some people will manage their homes fairly well, and maybe those uh, older groups that you you talked about m- might actually not be sort of a bad risk, if you like. Um, the challenge is to try to quantify that in the first place. So what you want is a quite a broad set of um, data, and then you might realize that actually we don't need to have. Sort of a stream of data from from certain people's home to 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 determine that kind of stuff.
3: So yeah, no, I think I think so. All these points are, I I, I think are all incredibly relevant. And I, I I suppose at Cocoon we have a, I think we're aligned but slightly different way of approaching it, which is that we have a responsibility to to not punish people for and provide them with high premiums or whatever it might be by engaging in these propositions. So. In order to do that, we have to kind of we have to move away from the traditional model of let's just price on what we know and just take the data, and we have to try to intervene at some point to prevent things from happening. So, our long-term mission within within insurance is to to use our products and our propositions to help change that relationship, to create that transition, and hopefully, if we are able to do that, um, that saving that saving that's made at the underwriting stage can be passed to all premiums. Um, and then on top of that, then you can look at the sort of individual basis, a bit more personalization. But I do feel that we have a, a responsibility to, to not punish people for engaging with our propositions.
1: I have also another couple of observations. I think, you know, when it comes to elderly people, uh, you know, the cost of um, uh, having elderly people in a nursery is becoming almost uh, for a lot of people uh, unaffordable. And so I think, you know, smart devices will help uh, families uh, to keep an eye on elderly people. So I think, you know, smart devices are not just uh, the Alexa that is maybe fun for your kids to play with. Um, And the the other observation is it's true? For instance, in the case of Thing, that we started with uh, kind of uh, techie people, tech savvy people. But what we are trying to to aim at, and what we believe in, is is that connected home, connected devices will become, you know, like now smartphones. Uh, Even uh, elderly people have a smartphone now, so (laughs) it becomes something that will be embedded into your own life uh, in a very natural way. Currently, people don't feel it's something necessary they need to have, but I think over the next two to five years... uh, every home also think about you know um new buildings and now new buildings are, are embedding uh, technology inside you know the backbone the infrastructure that you need uh, uh, already into a new building so i think they will become more and more part of our life without us realizing that they are part of our life like a smartphone
2: if i could just comment on that pricing because uh, <laughs> i think yeah. I, I, that, that that seems to be quite a popular one i, th- I th- and i Think about it this way. Look, as an insurance company, our job is to pool many risks together and price it accurately. Now, connected defi- devices aside, whoever is entering that pool needs to pay the right amount of premium for the risk that they bring in. And risk may be different depending on, today, we judge different risk by postcodes, for example. Tomorrow, it may be, do you have a smart smoke detector or not, whatever it is. But coming back to Patricia's point, I think I think absolutely in five years, this is... There's no doubt in our minds that this is the way the world's going to work. It's going to be about connected devices more like, I mean, I can operate my TV from my mobile phone today, like sitting here. So, I mean, just, just if you keep expanding on that, it, we cannot be that far away. But I think the use cases are really interesting. So you mentioned assisted living, and that's exactly how we're thinking about it. So we're thinking from a persona perspective. So if you have a protection proposition, that could be also be used as a baby monitor. Right. It it could also see, right. What's the humidity level in my in my rooms or what's is is, is there too much moisture? Is that going to develop into damp and all these kinds of things? Um, Vice versa for the elderly care. Imagine having that system where I can, you know, we can do things. We can translate that data into information that's really relevant. Right. So, for example, we could say you put a sensor in the kettle. And if if, if your mom or dad lives on their own somewhere and they're elderly, we can measure. We can say the average time the kettle is on is between 8 and 10 a.m. And if that doesn't happen, trigger an SMS to somebody who can come and check. If that person doesn't respond, there's a nurse.
0: And actually, that's a that's a far less kind of, um, I think we could explore a little bit the more alternative connected devices because everybody instantly thinks, I don't want a camera in my house. I don't want like a camera looking down on me, seeing, you know, whatever it is. But there are, as, you know, as as, Con, as Cocoon says, there are Cocoon works, there are other ways of doing that. And I think that's something that needs exploring as well as this, you know, if you're talking about elderly people as well, you start getting into devices that are, you know, things that flash if there's something gone wrong so they can see if they can't smell or hear and all that kind of
3: stuff. I think assisted living, is the greatest example of how fantastic uh, user experience can be incorporated into product design. Uh, none of us want to think that we're not independent. Right? And that doesn't change as you get older. and so. But your medical circumstances might do. You might get ill, you might be prone to falling down, those sorts of things. And you've got people that care about you, and as much as they want to make sure you're alright, they also want to put their own mind at ease and make sure they're doing as much as they can for you. And so I think you touched on a really important point around user experience. With all all of these products creating great user experiences are at the heart of the most successful companies. And I think a key differentiation between, certainly I would say Cocoon and, and some of our competition is that we really do focus on that. And I would suggest that that's also being looked at by the insurers. That's exactly at the heart of what they're doing and creating new propositions to better fit those those user experiences. So it's less
0: about kind of a, a good-looking toy, a shiny toy with pretty aesthetics and more about does it interrupt my life does it help my life does it but on the other side of you know we've talked about it helping our lives but does it get in the way because the last thing you want is more boxes or wires you know tripping you up
1: Uh, Yeah, I think you want actually that it become more and more transparent. uh, And so I think, you know, it's uh, moving away from the hardware and uh, trying to develop as much as you can the software to be downloaded in any other, let's say in a smart TV, um, so that people don't end up with too many boxes, for instance. uh, But everything is quite concentrating in just a few appliances. Yeah,
3: I agree. The the ability to transpose um, your product onto any other device so that the service works in the same way. Is is a fantastic opportunity for for what certainly what we're collectively doing.
0: Well, if you're talking about having smartphones and Alexas and homes anyway, presumably you can use you use those as well to get the data if need be. Yeah,
1: yeah What we do actually is quite interesting because um, what we uh, found from a number of surveys uh, is the uh, surveys uh, the. Our customers are using Finbox for presence. Um, so when you set up, yes, because when you set up uh, Finbox, uh, what you do, you match uh, people to devices. So, for instance, uh, I know when my son is on uh, his Hexbox uh, or on the iPad, uh, and I can actually block the access to the iPad. Do you can have the iPad? Yes, back. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, you, you, actually, you know, I I have um, a sort of a timeline, a schedule. So um, the access to internet uh, to his device is blocked at homework time oh. after a certain time in the evening so I think you know it's it's a digital experience uh, more than anything else that helps parents uh, helps uh, you know um, people with different kind of lifestyle uh, um, to actually enjoy then I think that's that's to.
3: really interesting because um, it, you know you'll from that information you're able to create new experiences for people that have an advantage or a benefit that perhaps you weren't aware of when you first went out to market with the product. Certainly with Cocoon what we would set out to do was to create a system that protects your home you know in the most simple and effective way possible which we did um, but what we're seeing is that a new experience has completely which has arisen just from our customers engaging with the product which is when they're working late or they're not home they want to know that their family are back safe and so cocoon allows you to do that it shows as people come and go through the home
0: so i mean we've kind of touched on this a little bit but you know as as we're we're, you know moving towards sort of wrapping up here you know what what is the future looking like so we we've kind of all agreed that this is going to be about this is going to happen these devices are going to be in people's homes. Their adoption will, you know, depend on the user experience they provide. I mean, one thing that we haven't really touched on that I would be definitely uh, great to get the perspective of, certainly from the, the legacy players, is are you going to start handing out these devices? Is this going to be something that, because that kind of overcomes several of these problems, right? It's, you know, those demographics that Christian was mentioning that aren't, you know, maybe may underserved. Um, it also gets you access to the data because you're, you know, you're handing it out. Is that is that something you guys see happening, that the insurers are going to start providing them?
2: Can I say maybe you get away with it? <laughs> I was hoping yeah. we
3: could agree on that now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, look, it's, I, I, I think this ultimately, I think we all understand that connected home is just going to be a part of life, right? Um, just like Netflix wasn't 10 years ago, but it is now. Um, and, and and that's that's the way. And we're going to have to evolve. And I think your point about different iterations is really important. For us, the way we're thinking about it, this is not that we're going to launch one product with, let's say, a leak detector and then just sit idle. <laughs> um, this is about a journey, and we need to keep evolving. And yes, maybe we start with handing out something mm-hmm. for free that's easy to install, and it, it helps us collect some data and, and really help you in terms of prevention. Um, but ultimately, I mean, it's it's about... Building that ecosystem together to say look now that these devices are here there are already, they may already be installed depending on when your house was manufactured let's take let's take advantage of that let's make sure it's positioned in a way that it adds value to society and then let's make sure that we can help we can be that partner who doesn't only help you if there's an emergency but helps you stop those emergencies and predict those
1: I think that insurance companies shouldn't be um reseller or wholesaler of um, smart devices. It's not their job. Um, I think they should be brand agnostic. Clearly, we're talking about uh, well-recognized technologies. Uh, The way we've been helping insurance companies to develop a connected home uh, proposition has been uh, through our scanning the network and identifying what are the connected devices that the um, homeowner already has in their home and then taking the customer through a journey saying, well, I see you have a, a connected smoke alarm but you don't have a leak detector for instance and so uh, that is you know part of the uh, educational process uh, but i think they should stay away from specific piece of hardware they should try to be brand agnostic and they should try to help uh, customers in uh, um, understanding the benefits of, of of a smart home what we haven't maybe touched upon is a cyber security and i think you know at the same time they need to help a consumer uh, to understand that not only they need to have physical security but they also need to have cyber security in their home so the two things should go together and that's what we do we do cyber security as well as helping with the, with the yeah, physical absolutely. security if you
0: have all these devices you're going to need passwords on them at the very least if not you know higher level
4: well yeah so, so Policy Castle takes pretty much the same view as we've heard here that we we don't really think it's the uh, it's up to the insurers maybe in the very very early stage to sort of sort of Package up a package of a few different devices and then say, here you go, and go and, 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 and sort of install those and try those out. I don't think that's, or we don't think that's the long-term picture. People are going to have these devices. They will be part of their homes. And the insurer's job is to insure their homes, you know, and with all that is in them. Um, the same way that they will insure the content and, you know, the the materials they're built of and, and and whether it's a listed property and or not um they they, they need to be able to to provide a fit for purpose product that will ensure a smart home because every home will be
3: yeah i think on the uh, on the hardware question of do we provide one unit or another do the insurers open up and be agnostic. Um, to Patricia's earlier point about software being really important, uh, I couldn't agree more. I think that the ability to be able to run your service, your software, your platform on many different types of products is what is probably going to be more attractive to the insurers in the future. Uh, I think that in you know time is moving along and uh, you're starting to see really big players outside of insurance starting to make waves here and it's only a matter of time before amazon and indeed google get involved so on the how do we push this forward do we do we allow it to naturally evolve i would say to the insurance industry there's going to be a land grab so get in there early and do that now before these huge players come in and start you know challenging you on your own turf
0: brilliant Well, I think we're going to wrap up there um, just because, you know, we've kept you guys for for half an hour. But that's a really interesting discussion. I'm really pleased that everybody kind of has a similar viewpoint on this rather than at least we're all agreed on the the general direction. Um, So thank you so much, everyone, for joining me uh, this evening. Um, So where can let us find out a bit more about you guys? You have Twitter handles, websites, email addresses. We have one guest who likes people to write him letters. Um, Patrizia, where where can people find out more about you?
1: Yes, please go on our website, www.thing.io. We are on Twitter. We have um, a group on Facebook. Um, so please just come and learn about what we do and how we can help you in having a better digital life.
2: Yeah, we're on zurich.co.uk. Um, we're on all the social medias and so on. Um, I'd say, you know, give us, a, give us a little bit of time and you'll see some pretty exciting stuff.
3: Colin? Yeah, I mean, if you want to write a message in the sky, I've never had that done before. That would be great. Um, That's one way of getting my attention. Uh, No, you can contact on cocoon.life or you can tweet us at at cocoon. And if you really feel like getting in contact with me, Colin at cocoon.life.
0: Brilliant. And Christian?
4: PolicyCastle.com if you want to buy an insurance policy. Um, And if you just want to chat, then I think Twitter is the best place. We spend way too much time there and um, debating all sorts of things. And you're very welcome to join.
0: Brilliant. And you can find me at Sarah Koshansky on Twitter. So, Next up, Nigel and I spoke to Mark Budd, Head of Innovation at Zurich, to tell us more about their new innovation foundry. Let's hear from him now. Welcome to InsureTech Insider. I'm Sarah Koshansky. And today I'm joined by Nigel Walsh. Say hi, Nigel. And today we have the pleasure of speaking with Mark Budd, who's the Head of Innovation at Zurich Insurance. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you. So let's get straight into it. Um, so Zurich are obviously absolutely huge. So how would you summarise that company in just a few sentences?
5: Wow. Well, um, okay, so Zurich, we're one of the world's leading insurers. Uh, we're a multi-line insurer that serves customers in both global and local markets. We've got presence in more than 210 countries. Over 53,000 employees and over 6,000 alone in the UK. Um, We've been delivering insurance and insurance solutions to individuals and organisations for over 140 years. Uh, And our customers range from individuals through small businesses up to medium and large sized companies, as well as multinational corporations. So we are a big business.
0: Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, you're the head of innovation and being, a, you know, such a big business, what actually does that entail on a day-to-day basis?
5: It's a good question. I think I think firstly, what's important to understand is that I'm not the ideas guy. Um, we already have great ideas and capabilities across our UK business and the Zurich Group. And there are loads of great examples of innovation from outside the insurance industry that we can get inspiration from. Uh, I suppose I, I have ideas like anyone else, but my role here is not to pursue my own ideas or or anyone else's pet projects. It's about providing an environment in which other people's new ideas, who are generally far more qualified than I, can be explored quickly um, and tested for value, and either closed down or accelerated to scale for the right ideas. Uh, in, in addition to the to the facility around exploring ideas, I do have a role to play in terms of driving more innovative culture. Uh, and that, for me, it isn't, it isn't particularly a people thing in Zurich. I find most people in Zurich I speak to or work with recognise the need to continuously enhance our products and propositions. It's, it's about helping those guys buy this facility to be able to test ideas safely and with, with, a, with a decent amount of rigour.
0: So um, I suppose you're eventually the, the, the yes-no guy. You're, you're kind of the stop-go when it comes to, to come, a new idea or, or pri- pilot or project.
5: In conjunction with our COO, we, we intentionally don't have a steering group or a board so that we can quickly make decisions. But yes, in a nutshell, John and I can decide which ideas we want to progress and which ones we're going to put on hold for a bit.
6: I think it brings a nice segue into the innovation foundry as well, Mark, right? So can you tell us more about that? Yeah,
5: the foundry, we launched the foundry, well, just over a month ago. Um, So we're still still pretty new. Um, But I guess in Zurich, over the last 12 to 18 months, we've We've been working in very very different ways with some significant success we've, had, we've won a number of industry awards in areas of IOT and uh, short adoption and, and some and customer engagement so the innovation bug if you like is something new inside <laughs> Zurich but the foundry is the foundry is, is, is really a formalization of that and as I sort of alluded to early, it is it's a UK-wide facility that allows us to explore new ideas fast and at low cost. Uh, ideas that come to the founder either close down fast or very quickly accelerated to scale for the right ones
6: that are commercially viable. I think the team here often have a debate about the the benefit of labs and not the benefit of labs and that sort of good stuff. I seem to recall one of our last FinTech Insider episodes talked about the success of BBVA, which may put back into, um, I guess, everyone's purview, the fact that these things are actually working. So What's the objective being set then? How how do the execs see the see the foundry and what, what will good look like? In fact, in uh, the execs have been really
5: really supportive of this, and the, the, the formalisation of the foundry has really come top down. Um, it's it's a place where we have we can we're using best practice across the industry and from within our own organisation. So um, the, the support is there. They're really encouraging people to come and talk to us, which is great. Your point around what does great look like for me. Great looks like. I, I guess for me, the problems with labs sometimes is that we're. It's easy to spin stuff up in isolation. For me, good is going to look like when we're able to get an idea out to the whole organisation or to entire customer base at scale. And i I think, I think often innovation in isolation can be relatively straightforward it's innovation when you try to make that at scale that it gets more difficult and i think that's where we're we're most likely to get our wins
0: and it's and what helps you you know take take it through to that from that initial idea to to the full scale rollout because as you say we see a lot of people doing a lot of uh, experimentation certainly in the insurance area you know a lot of labs etc etc what do you think that you actually need to to get that scale would you say that it's the the way that you set your setup, so it's yourself and the COO, and you have that one kind of two people stop go, or is there more of a kind of a broader team involved in rolling those ideas out throughout the whole business?
5: So, so the method that we've got allows us to test and learn at every stage, and scale is really the final piece of the puzzle. So, before we got anywhere near scale, we would have we would have been working. In fact, our process encourages to put customers in the room from day one. Um, so, we're constantly testing throughout our process with customers. And I think it's the feedback from those interactions and feedback from pilots that will really give us the give us the signals as to whether or not this thing will work at scale. So it's not really it's not really at that point it doesn't really become a decision for John or I. It's more about is is can we see customer value and commercial value via the pilot exercise that we have run.
0: So can you give us um, a couple of examples, maybe, of some of those pilots or, or you know, some of those partnerships you form with, uh, with startups?
5: I can. We, um, on the startup front, we're actually proud sponsors of, we're well, one of the sponsors of the Startup Bootcamp Programme in London. So we've got excellent access to some startups. We're already working with some of the to startups in this year's cohort. And there's some, some exciting opportunities there that perhaps we could talk about another time. But what, one particular example is one from last year's cohort. Uh, these guys were originally badged as the Insurer Thing, but recently rebranded themselves to an organization called Lacquer. Uh, and we've recently released uh, a product via the Lacquer piece of technology, which is around high-end bike insurance. so it's community insurance for people who are really into their bike. These guys have got pretty expensive bikes. What's really interesting about it is it turns turns the insurance model on its head. But in some ways it goes back to some some quite old um traditional, um, methods of insurance, I guess, where the people in this particular community don't pay any insurance premium until a claim has been made from within that community, and the community then fund the cost of that claim. It's quite an interesting proposition. Uh, in the first couple of months we've been live, we've been sending our customers a zero bill. So I think that's that's a really interesting differenti- you know, differentiator. Um, that product from from lots of other insurance products. And I think it's an opportunity for us to explore a bit further, this concept of community insurance.
0: And actually, that's, in fact, a new business model as well. So that's not just you looking at new types of technology. That's a whole new way of underwriting uh, insurance. Am I right?
5: That's correct, yes. And and often that's the way. The technology alone doesn't necessarily drive the business model changes. I think it's, it's where, where you're able to use the technology and, and, and put in place a different business model where you can really start to get some traction.
6: I was really pleased to see that you guys picked up LACO, actually. I've worked with Taby and Jens for quite a while, and I think yeah, exactly. it, it, it's, a, it's a fundamental change for insurers in general. If you look at what the industry is doing, everyone's focused on distribution or optimising the existing process. So actually to come out with such a brave move at the outset, really points your flag at the ground and says, here's what we're going to go do, and we're okay backing some brave things. So it'll be really interesting to see how it plans out, not just for bike insurance, but then other other classes as you go yeah, through the well.
5: and, 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 yeah, really exciting times. Um, but those different classes, we, at the moment, we think they need to be communities with a real strong affinity to their particular passion, whether that be bike insurance, it could be golf, it could be other things where people are really, really particular an interest in their particular field the more those things become a commodity we're not quite sure how that model works because part part of this is that people love and care for their bits of kit um, so they don't they don't want to make claim. these things don't don't
6: don't easily get broken or, or lost it's a good segue mark because your business is is a broad business in general as you said it's a huge <laughs> a huge organization in the uk you write personalised, lines municipal commercial and so much more how, and obviously, the debate around insurtech is very much focused on personal lines and what we're doing in that space. How do you see things flowing through into the foundry today around ideas around municipal, potentially, or commercial, or elsewhere? How do you see those? I, I think you're
5: right that often, often personal lines is the place to start, but a lot of those, a lot of the technologies can be used in other spaces. So, particularly in commercial lines and, and with municipal, particularly, we've run a really interesting IoT pilot. Um, with a housing association, and we, it was sometime last year. What, we put, we put some sensors in some houses with the understanding that it was some sort of um, indication around or, or mitigation of claims, particularly around leak and leaks and moisture. Um, but when we started to work with housing associations, we realised that some other benefits were coming out of the out of the woodwork. Some some benefits we didn't particularly expect to be honest. So we started to realise that not only were there there was some benefit around having the devices, but it also gave the housing associations some benefit in terms of maintenance. Often they'd have to send a guy into a property to check the moisture or check the temperature every three or four months. And with the sensors in place, we started to realise that human beings didn't have to do that. So that presented quite a different opportunity with IoT. And another interesting story on this is that in that particular pilot, We had um, an elderly lady, Mrs P, we referred to her as, she she had some particularly cold temperatures and particularly high moisture readings in her flat Uh, and cold temperature and moisture tends to lead to uh, mould and damp, which can have some health impacts. And off the back of the sensors that we had in that property, we were actually able to alert the Housing Association, who then went in and replaced the double glazing and upgraded her heating to make sure she was safe and sound. So... Not only did we be we, we able to look at it from a maintenance perspective, we were able to look at it from a, a health perspective. And, of course, the housing associations have a duty of care to these people. So that was another really interesting find um, in a commercial play.
6: What, what a wonderful it, story to really It's a
5: great story. And, and what's really, really great about doing these kinds of things is we didn't expect to find those benefits when we started. And, um, and we love that. We love finding benefit that we didn't know mm-hmm. was there.
0: So that, that kind of leads us on to, so talking about, you know, you're working with the housing association and kind of, you know, makes the point that it's not only startups that you're looking at. You're also, you know, working with larger companies and organizations. And, and, you know, uh, you know, as you were saying, that give you a, a wider variety of options. Um, you know, one of the things that, that, you know, we wanted to ask you about was uh, your partnership with EasyJet. And, you know, offering those uh, dynamic insurance pricing models, you know, and that, that's going back to that personalization point. Um, how how key to, as far as you're concerned, is data when you're talking about creating models like this? Because if we're talking about startups versus partnering with those larger companies, the advantage presumably of working with those larger companies is that they have more data available, which is more useful to you as an insurer. Um, so, you know, how, how, how key is that, you know, ability to provide data when you're choosing your partners?
5: Well, you're, you're right to say that, in, in the in the main, we own the data. Um, data is a massive driver around everything we do. And I keep I keep hearing various stats around data. The, the one I've heard recently is 90% of the world's data has been created in the last couple of years. And by 2020, the world's data will double every year. Um, so there's mind-blowing the amounts of, you know, just sheer amount of data is mind-blowing, really. Um, so data is really important. Understanding which where the data where the value is in which bits of that data is also really important. Some of the startups are experts in that area and can help us. Other of the startups that provide uh, services around the proposition of the product will look to us to provide the data and the insights into those things. And I'm sure we're the same as lots of other organisations. Lots of our data is dotted around all over the place in, our, in various legacy systems. We have a huge data program in Zurich, which is made, delivering us massive benefits in terms of being able to give us a single view of that data now. Uh, and I think that puts us in a really good place to be able to start to explore new technologies. I
6: mean, it's, a, um, it's an interesting topic and one that's uh, on the news just last week with regards to um, smart devices and security guidelines need more teeth. So, so data, obviously, is, the, is, the, is the, the join between all these things, whether it's connected home or commercial property that's connected or elsewhere. Do you see any issues around data security and privacy coming up from the pilots and the things you've tried in the, out? In the
5: things fun? that we've tried so far, no. I think questions, as, as, the, as the data sets and the amount of data we hold about people and things gets greater and greater, I think new problems or new questions will be asked. Um, and rightly so. Um, we don't want to, you know, we, we're, we're very serious about protecting our customers' data. So it's something we take really, really seriously. I think it gets quite interesting when you're talking about IoT, then who owns the data and is the, is the data personally identifiable? I don't know. I think some of those questions are bound to come. And then whatever technologies come next will probably present a new data challenge. I think it's, I think it's something we're going to have to get used to. About really understanding what the data is, how we protect it, and, and its
0: relative sensitivity. Well, it. it sounds like to me that you're you're in a good place with that. If you're already thinking about it, and the fact that you you know you say you've got one data center. Um, I'd, I'd like to ask you a question that we, we kind of ask everybody who, who works for, for the big guys, as we call them. Um, so there's this perception that the insurance industry is just archaic um, and in some ways, you know, even further behind some of the other financial services groups, you know, looking at retail banking, for example. What's, what are your thoughts on that? What's your response to that statement?
5: Um, so I, 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 I agree. The insurance industry does have a certain reputation uh, and it would be, It'd be wrong to say that we haven't got some catching up to do when you compare it to other areas of financial services like banking. However, I think it also is wrong to ignore some of the great strides industry's made recently to challenge some of the, the, the conventional insurance models, like, as I talked about earlier. Even the word telematics is a is a term that is relatively new, that it doesn't isn't considered modern anymore. Telematics is almost a given in motor insurance. So I agree. There's more work to be done, but I think I think the proliferation of insured tech and and lots of good work that insurance companies are doing is it's a little unfair to call it archaic. Well, I understand the perception, but I, th- I think lots is going on. But there's always more that can be done.
0: That's very diplomatic of you, um, but uh, you know. What, what, whilst we're, <laughs> I would expect nothing less. Um, whilst we're on the the subject of those technologies, what what technology do you think is being you know mm-hmm. would be the most interesting? So we've talked about business models, and I completely understand that business models and data are driving a lot of the innovation within insurance. But when we go back to technologies, what what do you think is the most exciting technology that's coming to disrupt uh, either insurance or you know a particular area of insurance? It, it, it's
5: an interesting one because i think there are lots of disruptive technologies blockchain iot ai but for me it's not it's not it's not the technology in isolation that creates a disruption for me often the, the true innovation comes from understanding what those technologies provide and knitting some of that existing technology together to create new pro- propositions or products or services for customers so for example put something out in there so to be a bit careful. But if you imagined an automated claim service, you could imagine seeing something like a combination of IoT, a chatbot and, and AI to provide that seamless claims experience. So it's not it's not about one particular technology per se. It's it's he who knits it best together best that wins, I think.
0: That makes that makes perfect sense. I completely agree with you that it's actually this. We're at the point now where all these technologies can work together and complement each other, and that's what makes new things possible.
6: I think I think I, I can completely concur. I was chatting with some folks last night on the on exactly the same topic where on their own useless, but orchestration matters and the ability to execute. So it's great having IoT, but if you can't do anything about it, I notify the housing association and change the double glazing. Then actually, yes. it's just more data. I don't think. The insurance industry needs any more data than we And on we can't that do note, uh,
0: let, let's start wrapping up this conversation. Um, Mark, where can people find out more about you? Do you have a, a Twitter handle or an email address? Um, and also, where can people find out more about the Innovation Foundry you mentioned earlier?
5: So, with the Foundry being a month old, uh, we've done we've done we've done some press releases in the last month to sort of talk about what the Foundry is. Um, in terms of finding out a bit more about it, there's really limited information in the public domain right, right now. But we we plan to. Release things into the press when we've got a good story to tell. Um, watch this
0: space. I watch this space. I would also
5: say, uh, insuretech insider is a good place to start.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and yourself, are you are you available on Twitter or, or via email?
5: I am available via email. Uh, I'm somewhat reluctant to give that out at this stage because I'm, I'm absolutely flooded with um with lots of good questions at the moment.
0: Do not worry. That's absolutely fine. I think probably
5: LinkedIn is probably the best way to get hold of it.
0: All right. Well, we will, we'll direct people towards your LinkedIn page. Thank you so Thanks. much for joining us. It's been a really interesting conversation. No um, thank you to everybody else for joining us on today's episode of InsureTech Insider. <laughs> that wraps up another InsureTech Insider. So thank you to all our guests, Patricia Cozzoli, Colin Richardson, Christian Feldborg and Aslan Hanani. As always, you can find the show on Twitter at Instech Insiders. And if you like what you've heard this week, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and please leave us a review on iTunes. If you have any suggestions or feedback, please reach out on Twitter or email podcasts at 11fs.com. Thanks for listening.